You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this is not a spoiler-free episode. We are going to be talking about the series in its entirety, which as of this recording is up through the end of season two. So if you haven't seen those first 20 episodes, there could be some spoilers ahead for you. And countdown alert, we're down to, I don't know, 40-ish days? 40-ish days? 40? That's like barely over a month, Chris. So close. It's so close. You can you can taste it. <laughs> Almost. What does Orphan Black taste like? Probably a little bit of blood. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so unfortunate given today's topic. An ice cream cake. <laughs> oh, that was unfortunate. I was actually thinking of Helena no, when I, I know. said I, probably I, I a little bit of blood. I was thinking but... of Helena also, but uh... But you're right. That is kind of unfortunate for this day, for today's topic. Uh, were there any though before we get to to today's topic, which we're going to be talking about, Kasima and and Jennifer Fitzsimmons. Poor Jennifer which, Fitzsimmons. Poor Jennifer Fitzsimmons. So you can probably tell at this point, this episode's probably not going to be an upper. <laughs> so warning. So spoiler warning as well as potential sadness warning. But first, I, has there been any major developments in promotional materials that have been released? I'm trying to remember. It seems like, let's see. Yes, the last the, time we talked, they had the trailer. They had released a, a, a like a clip from the first episode or something like that that you did something crazy with a password to get to. After after the password situation, like a day or two later, they released it without a password. So, oh, okay, it was only fun for like a day or two, and then. And then they ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> not that not a, it wasn't only fun for the day or two, but you know, the, I'm like, teasing. the cool kids I'm teasing. were, you know, you felt all proud of yourself for like entering the proper yeah. password, but then now anybody can see it. <laughs> uh, the, the plebeian masses. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So what's happened since the password situation? There, There is, in addition now to, that was like a clip from the first episode, now there is like a full-blown trailer that has been released. Like a minute-long promo thing that they they did. And there's been a lot of discussion about it online. Or at least I, I saw some the day or two following the release of the thing. People were taking issue with things but i don't i won't go into too many details because i know you are avoiding spoilers it, it i am i am i'm avoiding spoilers and clips and trailers and things so thank you maybe we'll do like we did last year and i'll get some replacement people who have watched the trailers <laughs> some better people who watch <laughs> i didn't say better spoilers <laughs> some it was implied some <laughs> <laughs> Some uh, some people who are not afraid of spoilers. I'm not afraid of them. I'm- <laughs> I said that to provoke you. <laughs> see, I see how it is. I admit it. And has the the comic book has come out? Yes, the comic book has come out. And you very nicely bought me a copy, and I am looking forward to reading it. I did buy you a copy, and I've already read it, and now I'm going to taunt you with the fact that I've read it already. So. <laughs> It's interesting, though, because it kind of follows the first episode, but it doesn't follow it exactly. There are elements from the first episode, but then there's other stuff also. There's some backstory, and there's some stuff that happened between scenes. Okay. So it doesn't contradict it, it just adds more? Yes. Although there's stuff that... (laughs) Somebody actually sent us a message, and I'm sorry, whoever it was, because I don't remember who it was now exactly. But somebody sent us a message commenting that it sort of, you know, non-surprisingly, it answers some questions and gives you a whole lot more. (laughs) It's what Orphan Black does. Exactly. Yeah. So in the grand tradition of Orphan Black, you'll be pleased and confused. (laughs) But yeah, I'm I'm doing this weird in-between thing this year in, in terms of spoilers, because... I'm avoiding reading any of, like, the full-blown article-type things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know, I'm I'm having difficulty drawing the line, like, specifically as to where. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know. I'm So I'm watching all the stuff that they release, or most of it, because I think they did release something the other day, too, with um, Tatiana Mislani giving a 
clone status update or something. And I'm I ha- I haven't watched it yet, but I'm tempted to. Hmm. Our main topic this week is Kasima and Jennifer Fitzsimmons. I feel like I always have to say her last name because I, I kind because of because everybody is named Jennifer. Her name. <laughs> that too. That too. Do you do you know the Mike Doty song Twenty Seven Jennifers? I do not. Oh, it, the the it begins with a. Uh, I went to school with twenty seven Jennifers. <laughs> I think I did, too. 16 Jens and Jennies. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is appropriate for a lot of people about age, I don't know, 28 to 42. (laughs) The name Jennifer was (laughs) probably very, very popular. But uh, but Jennifer Fitzsimmons, I I do remember, even though I try to avoid the promotional material, I do remember back between seasons one and two when... They started putting out the stuff about Jennifer's like, meet the new clone. And it was a video. And of and of course, it was on Facebook, I think, is where I usually see more spoiler material than I would have otherwise. And and the Facebook, you know, video thing, it, it or maybe it wasn't anyway, but the, the video, the, the still that was sort of randomly chosen for that video was, of course, a still of her where she's all, you know, bald and ill and in the wheelchair. And I just thought, oh, great. Great. That told me probably more than I wanted to know. But it ended up not being super spoilery, right? I mean, no, no, it wasn't a huge deal. But I, I, I was going to say I saw that, but I was still surprised that she was the character was already dead when we met her. This idea that they were introducing a new clone, but oh yeah, she's already dead. I'm trying to remember now. It seems like I kind of suspected it. Mm. I, I. I thought she would be I thought there would be more interaction between a live well maybe I don't know maybe that's a that was a foolish thought but I thought maybe we'd get to see we might get to see Kasima interact with with poor sickly Jennifer uh, but that is not how it how it turned out and and instead we get these these video diaries that give us a very small insight into Jennifer's life but she's obviously not she she's a very utilitarian character. She's not a very fleshed out clone character. She just is is used for a very specific purpose. And I'm okay with that. Mhm. I actually thought it was kind of I know this sounds horrible, but I thought it was kind of clever of the show creators to do it that way because there are both expanding the the world of the clones. Like there are more clones than we already knew. I mean, I think we all suspected there were more than we already knew, but it's a way to show that there are more without actually having to have Tatiana be 12 different people every episode. <laughs> right. Because as much as as probably Tatiana enjoys developing these new clones and, and playing the different characters, these are 10-episode seasons. They only have so much time. They They don't really have time to add two or more clones that they developed with the with the amount of intensity that they that they have with like Sarah and Helena and Allison and Kasima. It just it there's just not enough time. Right. And like we're all so invested in our existing main characters that yeah, having new clones to be that attached to is just kind of too much. Mm-hmm. Is my feeling anyway. Because this whole idea of the clone illness is obviously a very important piece of the the situation for the clones, the 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 reality that the clones face by being clones, but you know we we have Kasima as sort of the representative of the clone illness amongst our core group of clones, and really that's plenty. You know, mm-hmm. I think it would start to get depressing if we still had like Katja Obinger around deteriorating, and we had Jennifer around for much longer than we did. It you know it it just. There wouldn't be enough screen time, and it, it I think it'd start to get be too depressing. <laughs> right. And I, I mean, having it happen to Kasima really, there's enough emotional weight there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did we learn about Jennifer Fritzsimmons from her video diaries? It looks like you went back and- I rewatched and-, and made, a, made a good list. And made notes, because <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got all the, all the points. Okay. She was a teacher and swim coach at, I believe she says, Sheldon High, 
Okay. I want to say there was info somewhere on where it was that she lived, but there wasn't in the episode itself. Okay. So another kind of athletic clone like like Allison? Yes. Good call. Uh, she was actually, she says she was pre-Olympic in the 200 meter backstroke about 10 years ago. Wow. I actually saw it. I missed that part. Oh, well, that wasn't, <laughs> that was not in or not audible in the actual episode. It was in the video that was released between seasons one and two. Okay. Because they had uninterrupted clips from the early video and the last video. Okay. Is what that that was that they released. Because they sort of use bits and pieces of it in between conversations between Cosima and Delphine in the actual episode. But it was kind of interesting because recently I saw a post going around on Tumblr where they were talking about this and the fact that she was pre-Olympic. And so people were speculating, what if it was actually, you know, Dyad or whoever who prevented her from going to the Olympics because that would be bad for the program, right? If yeah. a clone was that visible. Mm-hmm. So, dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Dun, dun. That would be, that's an international, highly publicized event. It's very likely one of the other subjects would have seen this woman on TV and been been intrigued that she looked so much like them. Exactly. Yeah. And people all over the world would be like, hey... I know somebody who looks exactly like exactly that. Like, like that. Yeah, you That's should weird. see this swimmer in the Olympics, Katja. She looks so much like you. Anyway, but I thought that was interesting speculation. No, that's that's a really interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, she was the first to show symptoms, and apparently she showed symptoms six months before Katja Obinger. Okay. So, because I... I I did see something, well, because she, she died three days before episode 203. Right. And so I guess that leads me to the question, well, how long was it that she was, she was sick then? Because we don't yeah. know how long Katya had been showing symptoms. No. At least I don't think they ever established that. So, because I, I saw people trying to construct a timeline for how long Cosima has Right. But I don't think we have enough data to confirm or deny. Right. So we, we did get an email from Franzi, who was talking a bit about this whole idea of a timeline of how long Kasima might have left to live. And we we hear that Jennifer Fitzsimmons showed symptoms six months before Katja Obinger. So she was alive with symptoms for at least six months, maybe longer. And... So, you know, the events of season one, we're told, happen over the course of about 18 days. And then the events of season two, we know that Allison goes to rehab and completes rehab. So probably the events of season two take place over at least a month or so. So if the, the series has run over the course of like approximately two months, you know, hopefully that means that we have at least about five months left with with Cosima because she didn't start showing symptoms until toward the end of season season one. But obviously we don't have a ton of information. It's hard to make a timeline here. Right. I mean, you know, I suppose theoretically, like there was another a month in the anyway, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> See, we just we don't have enough information to make a good timeline. But I'm tr I was trying to remember, and maybe you remember because you went back and, and watched some episodes, uh, you know, we had the whole thing where Rachel destroyed the bone marrow that Kira had donated, and that was looking like the best possibility for treatment to Ugh. extend the amount of time that Cassandra would Rachel. have. <laughs> and I know that Cal and Sarah have a conversation in the finale about the the possibility of Kira donating bone marrow again. And I'm trying to remember what Sarah says. I think she says something like, I don't think we can think about that again for at least another time period. Was it a month? I don't remember. Do you? I don't remember either. Okay. But it's looking like, you know, <laughs> there's, it's possible because Nima doesn't have a lot of time left per Jennifer's deterioration and, and, there's a, I think it was at least a month that that she mentioned not being able to that for Kira not to be able to donate some more bone marrow, and uh, yeah, time but is 
you know, ticking down possibly. But we don't know how long Katya had been showing symptoms. So, yeah, you know, everything's all the timeline is squishy on it still. Obviously, uh, I I don't think they're going to kill Kasima off anyway. (laughs) John and Graham are not as cruel as Joss Whedon is. Is, I don't think true. I don't think so either. If nothing else, we have that comment that they made about why do all the lesbians die? Rest in peace, Tyra. <laughs> poor, poor Tara. That they made in one of their Reddit AMAs. Poor Tara. Never over it, Stephanie. Mm. Never over it. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember. I feel like when Jennifer, back to, to Jennifer, rather than trying to count down Kasima's timeline. Depressing. Depressing. Okay. So Damn Jennifer. It, Stephanie. <laughs> I remember when when she first popped up and we saw the video diaries, I remember a lot of people making comments that Jennifer seemed the most like Tatiana comes off sort of as when she's being herself in interviews and things like that. Did you have that impression as well? Yes. Yeah. Because like, darn it, John and Grandma, of course you do that. (laughs) Rip my heart right out. Why don't you? (laughs) Ow. (laughs) How about you? Did you think that? I, I can see that, but we don't see a ton of her before she gets really ill for me right. to. I mean, that that is part of it, too, is there's yeah. not a whole lot to go on necessarily. But yeah. But I do wonder if that might have been intentional, making mm-hmm. her the most like the real Tatiana to make it hurt even more. But yeah, in terms of like hair and makeup and stuff, because they didn't they didn't seem to do all a lot different. Mm hmm. To differentiate from standard Tatiana as they do on the rest of the clones. Right. And then we also see that Jennifer had a boyfriend, Greg, and and Kasima and Delphine have a conversation about how he was her monitor. Do we think that Greg, well, we don't know, obviously, but I, I do wonder if Greg was a monitor like Paul, more more strategically planted, or if he was a monitor more like Donnie, who was more oblivious to the fact that he was monitoring her. Don't know, obviously, because why would I? But I'm pretty sure they said Greg anyway. It sounded like Greg to me. Oh, I I, I agree. I think his name was Greg. Okay. I didn't realize you you were unsure. But no, I I think. Well, I mean, I didn't find like hard data on it or anything. (laughs) It's okay, girls. Don't I'm just worry saying about it. it could be it could be Craig and I misheard. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm sure our listeners would forgive us. Would you forgive us, Stephanie? <laughs> <laughs> After about a month, probably. Note from the editing room, I checked IMDB and it does in fact say Greg with a G. This sounds maybe a little morbid, but I, I was Wishing that we had more of the video diaries in the middle space because it mm, went mm-hmm. from like, oh, I'm going to go get treatment from a dyad from this guy named Dr. Leakey. It's great. He's going to help me. And then she's all bald and looking like she's on the, you know, the brink of, of death. Yeah, I I mean, I see your point, but at the same time, I kind of don't think it's that necessary, just because that is sort of the majority of what seems to happen. Because she says in there, you know, oh, we tried every, or there's a new treatment every week, and none of them work. She does say in there also. Logically, I understand that they're not needed, but because it's... The way that it's presented, like, we had her, you know, keep track of things as things go along. It just seems weird that there would be that big of a gap between entries, if that makes any sense. I see what you're saying, but I don't know. Also, at the same time, I'm thinking, but that's probably in case anything actually was helpful. And so the implication to me there is that there wasn't anything that helpful. (laughs) Which is depressing. It's super depressing, I know. But (laughs) I kind of think that's what they're going for, though, right? Because she specifically says that nothing worked. And, you know, Dr. Leakey said he could help, but he lied. No, again, like, I I totally understand logically why they did it that way. But I still wanted a little bit more of the the in-between space. You wanted to get more attached so it would hurt more? Are you an angst addict, Stephanie? No. No. But 
anyway. But obviously, the the bald, sad corpse of of Jennifer Fitzsimmons was a very important image for this season, at least in in terms of Kasima's storyline. It is clearly a, a vehicle for Kasima to have to confront her mortality and her her illness, make it even more immediate what is happening to her. And oh, th- that autopsy scene. It's so hard to watch. It's so hard to watch. And I just can't believe that Kasima helped and, and even thought that she could be able to help. Mm-hmm. See, I'm I'm just I'm taking a moment because I'm reliving <laughs> the scene because I, I rewatched before we recorded because I wanted to make sure I had terms and facts and stuff straight. Or at least more straight than I had them before. But yeah, that scene is so it's hard, but it's good. Mm. You know, like it's it's a well done scene. It's impactful. Right. Because how many people have that experience of seeing themselves dead, like, essentially? And and this was a very unique situation that the writers could use to facilitate that. Right. This, that experience. This woman with her face, with her illness. Yeah. But, you know, more progressed. And yeah, it's it's awful. And it's so fascinating to watch because you know Delphine is clearly disturbed by it like it's upsetting to her you can see it in her face but then they cut to Kasima and Kasima is sort of having a more visceral reaction to it mm-hmm. as one would expect so right yeah it's it's not an easy scene at all no and i remember i think it it was an interview maybe with with one of the writers talking about Tatiana's reaction to the because they had she did they did have shots of of Tatiana actually I think lying on a table but they had a like a a mannequin essentially done up to look like her that they were using for the autopsy and when Tatiana was confronted with that just the uneasiness (laughs) that went along with it it's like oh that must have been so strange I mean it would be weird if it wasn't you know even (laughs) if it wasn't supposed to be like dead corpse you you know what I mean yeah yeah. But it was probably helpful for her as an actor, right? To be able to actually see something approximating a corpse that looks so much like her. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. So what all did we find out about the clone illness this season? We 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 pretty much just had a sense it was a respiratory disease in season one and it involved coughing up blood. Right. But we learned a lot more about a, how it started, and B, kind of how it, it actually affects their bodies in this season. Yeah. In the video with Jennifer Fitzsimmons, she says that it starts with trouble breathing, and she went and had it looked at, and it was unidentified polyps on her lungs was what they found. But then when they do the autopsy, Delphine and Cosima are having this sort of back and forth over Delphine says it's an unclassified autoimmune disease and but immune immunosuppressives had little effect and i am not a scientist and i don't exactly know what all these things mean but i'm telling you what they said (laughs) (laughs) and when they're looking at that they actually find more mature growths in the uterus indicating that they originated there and then i think later on there is confirmation that that is what happened and uh, Ethan Duncan says, it was Susan's sterility concept, degrade the endometrium, prevent ovarian follicles from maturing. And so, of course, Kasima's kind of like, you know, that's horrifying. Why do it that way? And so Ethan Duncan explains that their goal was to not affect development or affect it as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And so they thought it was the least invasive I'm air quoting least invasive way to do that. So if if you would like, autoimmune diseases is is basically when the body's immune system attacks and destroys healthy body tissue, thinking that it's it, by mistake, essentially. And so, you know, there's lots of, of autoimmune disorders. I think there's about 
80 classified, if I remember from when I was reading. So it's things like rheumatoid arthritis, celiac disease, Addison's disease, type 1 diabetes, and then immunosuppressant drugs, which Delphine mentions. Those drugs, they reduce the strength of the body's immune system. And that's supposed to, those are given to like uh, people who have transplants so that bodies don't reject a transplanted organ. Mm-hmm. And, and so I guess that, that was a, a tact that they took in, in fighting this disorder to see if it would get the body to stop, you know, growing these polyps and attacking itself and destroying healthy tissue. Makes sense. But the, the whole idea that this disease was born out of the, their directive to have the clones be sterile is just, oh, it was such a smart writing move, but it just makes it all the more horrible <laughs> that it's happening to these women. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this, and the idea that that was the least invasive. like ugh. It's like, how is any of this invasive? Or how is <laughs> any not of, invasive? Yes, yeah. <laughs> that is what I mean to say. How is any of this not invasive? Yeah. And I think that that's, that speaks to really what the storyline or what Kasima's storyline was mainly about in season two. This, I, her illness really bringing out, uh, there's a lot of betrayal going on in Kasima's storylines in season two, both in regards to her illness as well as how people are treating her. Exactly. Cause, you know, essentially her body has turned on her mm-hmm. and something internal is killing her essentially. And then, yeah, I mean, Delphine, uh, I know you mean well, Delphine, but it's still betrayal. (laughs) With with the the way that she pursues the treatment, even though Cosima has told her, no, I wouldn't. Or she knows that Cosima wouldn't have wanted the treatment because it came from Kira. Cosima explicitly tells Delphine, don't give them my blood. Delphine Mm -hmm. gives them her blood. Cosima's like, obviously wouldn't want to use Kira. And Delphine doesn't let her know that it's Kira. And yeah. And on top of that, Kasima is really used as a pawn in a lot of ways this season. We have the whole power struggle going on between Rachel and Linky, and Linky sends that information to Delphine. To I mean, I guess, yay, he, he did want to go ahead and pursue this treatment that he thought might be effective for her. But at the same time... It's the way that it go- comes about is the fact that essentially there's this power struggle going on between Leaky and Rachel. And then, of course, as we mentioned earlier, the the moment where Rachel smashes the bone marrow treatments to get back at Sarah. Right. At various points, both Rachel and Leaky essentially use Kasima and potential cures for Kasima. They use it as a bargaining chip against Sarah. Mm-hmm. Right, because the whole power struggle between Rachel and Leaky earlier in the season was because Rachel was like, you know, Cosima will suffer until Sarah comes to heal, as I believe how she phrases it. <laughs> Something like that, yes. Sorry, I, I needed to be looking out a window while I said that <laughs> to get it right. <laughs> and I'm facing away from my window. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> the window really adds to it. Yeah. So we have, I think with Cosima, with we have the sense of Feeling like feeling disconnected from her body, literally seeing a manifestation of her body in front of her, you know, because of this disease. And then we also and have then getting this... cut up by her girlfriend, which that has to be weird too. Yeah. And then did a I just make it worse? <laughs> a little bit, but that's okay. And then this disconnect that she kind of forces on herself between herself and her and her her sisters or the other clones because she doesn't want to let them know that she's sick right but then of course it sort of you know once they find out as difficult as it is it i i feel like it just sort of bonds them together more i agree i agree because they have the you know especially in the first season there's always that sort of antagonism between sarah and kasima a little bit right they're kind of too similar <laughs> in a lot of ways. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they get upset with each other and when they hang up the phone at various times, especially. And then in season two, we've got at least a couple times sort of these very caring, concerned phone calls like, like, oh, how are you? Or, you know, are things okay? And the the Skype call 
towards the end of the season after Kasima collapses. Right, where Allison is just openly weeping. Yes, but but Kasima's, you know, cracking jokes about the nasal cannula. Yeah. And stuff, just sort of trying to put them at ease about it a little bit. And yeah, it's very touching, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of my favorite moments in this illness storyline is where we see Kasima watching a video of Jennifer, where Jennifer's talking about how she feels when she has to tell people that she's sick mm-hmm. and how she can see that they're not sure how to react to it, whether they want, whether she wants them to burst into tears. And, and I think it does a really good job illuminating partially where Kasima is coming from in regards to not wanting to tell the other, the other clones that she's ill. And we also get a sense from her later on that part of it was that she didn't want Sarah to worry for herself and worry for Kira that this would happen to her. Right. And of course, I mean, I think they juxtapose that scene of Cosima watching that with getting on a Skype call with Sarah. Mm-hmm. So you can you can understand why she's hesitant to say anything. Yeah, but it's at the same time you just want to you kind of want to shake her and be like, "No, they like you. They would want to help you and try to be supportive." But I do think that that what Jennifer is talking about it, it helps explain why it's sort of to protect herself as well she's hesitant to tell them right exactly and i i feel like kasima's illness also really you know as we mentioned it, it really gets overlaid onto her relationship with delphine where that's that's pretty much what their relationship is all about in season two is kasima's illness and we have those those scenes where it's like these really tender almost romantic moments juxtaposed with these medical procedures. Yeah, there's that one sequence in episode five, I believe it is, where they film it like it's a love scene. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the midst of all these sort of tender touches, caressing and such, there's like a needle and swabbing the arm and yeah. And the same with when they do the first treatment on the polyps. Yep. With, yeah, the same, same kind of deal. We have these very tender moments and then, and yet, you know, she's putting her girlfriend up in stirrups for this incredibly invasive procedure. Yep. So many people in stirrups this season. Oh, I know. Unpleasant. Yeah. <sighs> oh dear. But yeah, there, there is also, back for a second to Sarah and talking to Sarah. Kasima does, I think, at some point explain, I don't remember if it's to Sarah or if it's to Delphine. She does say something about not wanting to tell them until she had some Hope. concrete yeah. knowledge about it. Something yeah. something worthwhile telling them other than, you know, I'm sick. Mm-hmm. She wanted to have something that they could do about it first, essentially. One thing I thought that was kind of interesting that sort of ties into that was that about midway through the season, Kasima sort of becomes disillusioned with science. I don't know if you remember this. She's on the phone with Sarah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's when Sarah is at the, uh, oh, at the archive and is looking up stuff about what was the. Oh yeah. At the cold river. Cold River, thank you. And and Kasima has stepped out of the autopsy to talk to Sarah? Yeah, it is during the autopsy. And yeah, Kasima's just kind of, again, she's, she's shaken up by the whole thing. But as she's talking to Sarah, and Sarah, of course, looking at all the Cold River stuff, is sort of like, you know, what the heck, scientists? And mm-hmm. This is Kasima- disturbing and awful. Right. Kasima says something about, you know, oh, we, you know, we, we don't know what we're doing. We're just poking at things with sticks, sticks. or something. Yeah. And so, yeah, I thought that was an interesting moment just because, you know, so much of Kasima's story revolves around the science and Kasima's always been really into it, you know, like she's super into science. She loves it. That's her thing. And so to see her have that attitude toward it in that moment, is kind of, you know, just furthering how heartbreaking the whole thing is, to me. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's a good point. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about that moment, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It's in episode 206, I believe. That sounds right. We did get some feedback from folks about Kasima and Jennifer that we wanted to mention. We, we got from, from Jax. She commented, she said, I love Kasima, but I feel like she takes a backseat to some of the other storylines. She was just there to be sick and fight with Delphine. I assume she means in season two. I wanted more about their storyline that wasn't just at Dyad. Also, I want to know her past, her parents, what she was like before moving to Clone Ronto. And she's really interested in like the look that they, that they gave her. And, and I have share some of that. I was surprised that Kasima wasn't more prominent in season two. I am too, but it makes me curious about season three, <laughs> which I know we were, we were sort of, because we did spend the early part of season two, or really before season two, we were, I think, speculating that, oh, season two is probably going to move Kasima to the forefront now that Kasima is sick, but that right. didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, seeing the way season two played out, I see why they didn't do that. But I do wonder what role she's going to play in season three, if she'll remain sort of a bargaining chip kind of thing, or if they'll have her, you know, since they ended season two with giving her essentially tools to help her find the cure for the clone illness, Mm -hmm. you know, one wonders exactly how that's going to play out. Right. And I actually thought there might be more tension of, of in season two with, with Kasima being in the belly of the beast, essentially. We, we would have seen a bit more play out around the fact that she's, she's within Dyad now. And that for sure became an issue toward the end of the season. And, you know, I think was partially how Leaky and Rachel could use her as a pawn, but I don't know. I just I thought there would be more prominent storylines around the fact that Kasima was inside of Dyad and, and potentially some conflicts that would arise there. Right. And we did get some of that. But yeah, it, it wasn't as much as I guess we were expecting. Yeah. But now Scott's there, too. So who knows? <laughs> Yay, Scott. Oh, Scott. And then did you want to mention what Jonathan said he, he the message that Jonathan sent was 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 quite long uh, but I thought it was interesting he he noted a couple of shots that he thought connected Sarah to Jennifer and I thought that was kind of an interesting thought mm-hmm. cuz he mentions let's see he mentions the phone call the Skype call that Kasima has while she's watching the video of Jennifer that I mentioned earlier where Apparently they they pan from from Sarah over to Jennifer, and he says the pan has no narrative purpose. It doesn't reveal anything we didn't already know. It serves to establish a visual equivalence between the two people pictured on the screens, Sarah on the left and Jennifer on the right. And he mentioned another shot where it's a video of Jennifer where she says very dramatically, you know, I'm going to die here. And then it cuts to Sarah in Cal's cabin. And and uh and I don't know if there's significance to those. We'll see. But the idea that there could be some some intentional equivalence there between Sarah and, and Jennifer does intrigue me. But especially since one of Kasima's big concerns about telling Sarah about her illness was the fact that she was worried that Sarah would worry about it, given that she's a mother. Hmm. I don't know. Because to me, the way things have been set up, it seems like if anybody is immune to the clone disease, it's Sarah and Helena, right? Yeah, it would seem logical because they are fertile from what we can tell. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't know, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> that is not helpful at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> Although I, I suppose it could be, since we were just talking about it being in Kasima's mind, like, the whole matter of whether or not to talk to Sarah for those reasons. Like, maybe that's what it is. Like, this is from Kasima's perspective of, you know, these are the two things that I have to balance. I don't know. Hmm. I like that. That That's interesting. That's interesting. So it's not a narrative connection. It's it's a Kasima connection, I guess, is sort of what A Kasima connection. <laughs> <laughs> There's the name of your next band. There Kasima we go. Connection. The Kasima connection. You're welcome. <laughs> 
We also wanted to mention some feedback that we got about our previous episode, episode 57, right, Chris? Yes. Yes, about feminism and the or the feminist themes on Orphan Black. And did you want to read what we got from from Beth? Sure. Beth says her biggest fear is that now that we have the caster clones, will Orphan Black need to split time between these established, fully fleshed out women and needing to try and flesh out these male clones as well? I certainly hope not, as I don't believe with so few episodes there is time to spare for a second clone line. Each podcast you guys do is filled with an insane amount of questions versus answers. Yes, part of that is due to the nature of the show. However, one can't discount the fact that there isn't enough time to address all of the things we as fans wonder about. This is why the comic book has been created, to allow us a chance to have a bit of nuance. Yeah, I think we did mention that in the Feminist Things episode, this idea of the caster clones. And and this is a concern that I've heard people talk about since they were introduced at the end of season two. And I guess for me personally, I'm trying, I'm having faith in in Orphan Black that they will stay focused on our characters who have been around for a, a while that are, we're really invested in. That's what they've done the first two seasons, I think. So, right. You and know, I'm fairly certain they've explicitly stated that this is and always will be Tatiana Maslany's show. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not shifting focus away from her, but you know, we had new clones or not new clones. We had new characters, some of whom were clones, in the second season, and the focus stayed where it was the first season. It's just that we actually got rid of a lot of those characters. By the end of the second season, too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they introduced Henrik, and Henrik did not meet a pleasant fate. And so now we've got to re- we've got to replace him, essentially, with a new threat, right? There has to be some sense of intrigue, some new concern every season, right? Right, because we got, we got rid of Leaky. Leaky was a big antagonist in the first season, but now he's gone... Right. Now we have Topside and this the caster project that are sort of taking over the the major antagonist piece of season season three, I think. Topside, the caster clones, and the military, and yeah. whatever involvement those three things have with each other. Because yeah. obviously Rachel was another big antagonist in season two, but was felled by a pencil, so I'm not entirely sure what her role will be in the third season. It seemed like she was being put in her place a bit by Marion Bowles. So, but if I had to guess, I'd say she'll be back and mad as hell. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the point being that there there has to you know it's it's a TV show. There has to be some new bit of intrigue every season, right? That's just yeah. how TV works. So, yeah. but I I am curious to see how they are going to work in this new clone line. I, I think for sure we'll see more of Mark. We'll see more of, of Crazy Eyes in in Marion Bowles' basement. But whether they will give present more Ari Millen clones, besides caster clones. They have a name, Stephanie. Caster clones besides just those two. I, I hope, kind of hope not. I, I hope they'll just concentrate on the ones that we've seen. I guess there's also the military guy, but he was such a throwaway little, little shots. I I we might see some more of of them in the army maybe but I don't know. I have a sense they're going to focus mostly on Mark and can I call him Crazy Eyes Basement guy? Will that work for now? <laughs> uh I believe they did give him a name in one of the early bits of promotion they did for Darn. for okay. the season, but I think before that, they were calling him Scarface or something, though, weren't they? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that works, too. I like Crazy Eyes Basement Guy. <laughs> okay. But every time you say Crazy Eyes, I think of Orange is the New Black. Oh, oh. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, fine. I'll call him Scarface. Are you sure you won't think of Al Pacino, though? I probably will now, yeah. <laughs> Crazy Eyes Mohawk Basement Guy is fine. Whatever. <laughs> And then we also got some feedback from Erin, and she was talking about, I think it was a comment that you made about the lack of, of shows on television that had really, had, had, had a lot of really fleshed out female cast members. Yes, that is accurate. 
And you commented that, well, Grey's Anatomy does. <laughs> yeah, so so Aaron says, Grey's Anatomy does have a large cast, so eventually you'll have multiple strong female characters on at the same time. But not but eventually, from the beginning. I, I know, that's what from it was. From the beginning. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but in terms of small cast groups, would you consider a show like Agent Carter to have good, strong females? And then Aaron also mentioned Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Rookie Blue, Continuum, and Lost Girl. And of course, yes, that is true. <laughs> but that wasn't quite the point I was trying to make, uh, if that makes sense. Because, yes, Agent Carter has good, strong females, but, you know, there are essentially three main cast members, or I think two of them technically may not like be really main cast. You know what I mean? They're they're more one is the villain and one is sort of the the friend side character who shows up for like two scenes an episode. You know what I mean? Mm. But the rest of the cast is dudes. <laughs> like the more more established characters in a lot of senses are are dudes. And what about Agents of Shield? I don't know about that one. Agents of Shield is is better. Better gender balance? Yes, there is. And they've really kept it pretty balanced for most of the series. Uh, I don't know... I don't know how well-developed the characters are necessarily, if that makes sense. Because even though they're main characters, they're sort of, for the most part, defined by, like, a couple of characteristics, you know what I mean? Like, they mm -hmm. they haven't gotten as much story. Or at least it took them a while to get a lot of story or at least that's how it felt to me mm. <laughs> don't get me wrong i i love melinda may as much as the next person but <laughs> and they did introduce um a character bobby morse i think is her name and i love her <laughs> she's fantastic but but who knows where that's going either mm. but anyway and <laughs> and stephanie's just like i don't watch it i don't know <laughs> Uh, Ricky Blue, of course, is sort of in the same category as Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, Ricky Blue, Ricky Blue, and Lost Girl are are gender balanced. Uh, Lost Girl has has drifted more toward female dominated recently when they when they added Tamsin in season three. But uh, Continuum, I don't have a good sense of. I've only seen the first season. That seemed to be more dude dominated to me. But it is overall like there are two women who are in. The Liberate group. Right. And there's Kira and there's... um Betty. Betty, thank you. I totally blanked on her name for a second. Betty's awesome. Betty is awesome. But yeah, it, they're... Half of those are more minor characters. Yeah, I, I, it seemed like maybe the women in the Liberate group perhaps got a little more development in subsequent seasons. But in the first season, they were fairly flat characters. Mm-hmm. So it was mainly Kira who was the well-developed female character in the first season, at least. Right. But, you know, part of my point, though, was that they are super rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's... I don't, I don't think you were necessarily trying to say that Orphan Black's the only one. But I will say, it, you know, besides, especially if I think of network TV shows, it's it's difficult to think of ones where, you know, the lead character is a woman and the majority of lead characters are women. Right. Yeah, when I you know, because me personally, when I think of like the the main characters of Warf and Black, I think Sarah, Felix, Allison, Helena, Cosima, like that's what I think of. And there's yeah. one dude in there. I, you know? I agree. I mean, I think most people would characterize it that way, also. And you know, maybe like Rachel yeah. in season two. Because mm -hmm. while there are there, you know, there are more male actors credited as main characters than than female actors they are are you know relatively minor roles comparatively to those other ones like art and paul paul was gone for most of season two you know right well i mean that, that that's the big thing i was going to mention too is here you know dylan bruce is listed second in the credits he is ostensibly the leading man. leading man of the mm -hmm. show he was gone for half of the second season, basically. Right. You know, that he's the show doesn't treat him as it would normally, as most shows would normally treat their lead male character. Like right. it just, it doesn't. And it's that, that is very different. It feels like in, in all shows, like 
this is, I think, the main point I was trying to make, that, yes, there's a lead female character. The majority of the supporting characters, main supporting, is what I'm trying to say here. Which is such an awkward way of phrasing this. Yeah. When it, it, it's, the, hard, it's hard to kind of get it, which, you know, the vocabulary becomes difficult, but, but yeah. But yeah, as you were saying, you know, Sarah, Felix, Allison, Kasima, Helena, that's sort of your main group of primary characters. And they're pretty well developed. And yeah, I, that just, it almost never happens. Because even, you know, Grey's Anatomy, they've got McDreamy. <laughs> yeah, they're a much more gender-balanced cast, which is fine. I love gender-balanced casts. You know? They're great. <laughs> they're fantastic. They're fantastic. But <laughs> even those are kind of rare is sort yeah. of, I guess, the point mm-hmm. that we're trying to make. Yeah. So to have a predominantly female cast of characters is is kind of astonishing. It's unusual. That's all I was trying to say. <laughs> And that was a long conversation to get to there, but <laughs> it always is, Stephanie. Where are you new? <laughs> I also wanted to clarify from our episode about the feminist themes. I I said it. I was going to be wrong as I was saying it, and I was wrong. It was it was philosopher and social theorist Jeremy Bentham who came up with the idea of the panopticon, not Sartre. And, and but you I, were right that you were wrong. I was right that I was wrong. <laughs> So I just wanted to, I just wanted to insert that here, that uh, Jeremy Bentham was the correct name. We'd like to hear more of your thoughts about Kasima and Jennifer and the whole illness storyline in season two. You can send us those uh, by leaving a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com slash 58. You can send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can send us a voicemail by calling our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. We are also on Twitter as TIE Podcast, and we are on Facebook. And this week, our heartbreak was played by Tatiana Maslani. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.